the Raptors show with William Liu with Blake Murphy on Sportsnet 590 the fan a happy national indigenous people's day a reminder we're streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel and airing live on Sportsnet 360 uh, Monday to Friday from 2 to 3 except for tomorrow Jay's game gets in the way tomorrow uh, I am Blake Murphy filling in for Will Liu and Alex Wong yesterday today and Thursday Will will be back Friday I set up the draft Will knocks it down Speaking of the draft, Michael Grange piece up on sportsnet.ca on Shaden Sharp, a Canadian who is likely to be picked in the lottery on Thursday night. Uh, Oren Weisfeld has a piece up on Ben Matherin over at sportsnet.ca as well. And Holly McKenzie continuing her series of features ahead of Global Jam July 5th to 10th put on by Canada Basketball and Sportsnet uh, basketball.ca for more information about Global Jam. It is the draft on Thursday. Nobody better to talk to about it than the director of scouting at NBA Big Board, the creator of NBA Draft Junkies, the director of international scouting at Circuit Scouting. The list goes on. It's Raphael Barlow. How are you, man? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me on. So at this point, who has done more interviews? You in the last couple days doing NBA Draft podcasts and radio hits or a prospect who's on like the fringes of the first round doing all the, the bouncing around team workout interviews? <laughs> uh, I've probably done more. At least I could do them from the luxury of my my own home. Those guys are just crisscrossing across the country and and Canada trying to to do interviews. So I, I'd probably say me just because of the logistics. Yeah, we found out today uh, from Bobby Webster, the general manager of the Raptors. They estimate they've had about seventy two guys in here, um, and they always cast a wide net because you're looking at you know you want uh, enough guys in each workout to push each other and be able to play three on three. You want to get a baseline on guys to measure their development later down the line, look at guys for the G league and stuff, but 72 guys, when you have the number 33 pick and that's it, that kind of gives you an idea of uh, how chaotic this time is uh, for, for the draft hopeful. So at this point, Raphael, you've done your research. So beyond hits like this, what is this week for like for you leading into Thursday night? This week has been pretty crazy. Like, this is my first, I don't know, I, I guess my first draft cycle where people have labeled me an insider <laughs> and, and a guru. So this is all kind of new. Um, I've probably, I think I did eight, eight yesterday. I still have, like, my own podcast to produce. And then I have articles to write on NBA Big Board. So I think I went to bed last night about... I said I went to bed about 1, and then I was up again by 5, and it looks like it's going to continue until at least Friday night because after the draft on Thursday, of course, people are going to wake up in the morning. They're going to want to read content, so I have to have something up then. So the next few days are going to be pretty long. On top of which, you got the insider tag now. You're going to have to chase the undrafted free agent signing stuff too. You're going to have to, you know, last year, Justin Champagne's on a two-way with the Raptors five minutes after the draft. That's your domain too now, man. I hate to break it to you. Yeah, you know, I have a lot of interest in that because, I mean, those are the guys that... I've probably spent the most time watching. I mean, everybody can see, like, the top guys. Everybody knows those players, but it's the ones that, 
you know, are going to be on two ways that a lot of people don't know about. Those are the guys I'm supposed to to know about, especially, you know, like if I'm doing a live coverage of the second round of the draft, I can't be on air. And they're like, uh, Justice Champagne. And I'm just like, uh, I don't know who that is. So <laughs> he has a I really twin, I think. <laughs> Yes, Julian. Yeah, yeah. Who, who probably will be drafted in the second round. Yeah, it's uh, we were joking the other day on this show about possibly ending up with Justin and Julian both on the Raptors. Uh, different, not not exactly similar players, but the idea of it is pretty funny. Um, so you mentioned that this is kind of the first year you're getting the the media touches as the insider slash guru, but you've been at this a while. I'm curious over the years, how has your perspective changed on scouting and how you approach this time of year? I'd say the biggest change has been trusting my gut. And so the best example I can give was, I think it was 2018, I was watching a, a guy in, um, uh, it was in Omaha, Nebraska, where I'm from. So I was, I was at home and I was scouting a Creighton game and Max Strews played for DePaul. And I liked him. I, I really thought, okay, he's an NBA player. But I didn't see him on anybody else's draft boards. Nobody else was talking about him. So I thought, okay, maybe I'm just seeing something that other people aren't seeing but i looked at it in a negative way like okay maybe i'm just overestimating it and i, I feel like i was right max Struess <laughs> is an nba player he played a you know hit he was a high rotation player for the miami heat so i've learned to trust my gut be wrong but don't be afraid to break a prospect that the consensus aren't talking about yeah, I, got, I learned my Max Struess lesson in, uh, I was down in Tampa in the preseason uh, when the Raptors moved down there in at the start of the 2020-2021 season, and he hit six threes, and I was like, ah, oh, is this a thing I should pay attention to? And then, you know, he ends up being a guy who can do that semi-regularly. Uh, so that yeah. that's a great lesson to, to learn to trust your gut a little bit. Um, as you go, as we get deeper into the draft, and, and as you dig in on these guys, like you said, that are, you know, maybe second rounders, maybe UDFAs, uh, the guys that you're really digging in on, do you find yourself getting drawn to player team combos where, you know, maybe you're not high on a guy in all 30 landing spots, but you start thinking, ooh, if he lands here or here, I really like that fit and what he could become? Definitely. And one of the fits, and I'm not saying this just because it's a Toronto Raptors based <laughs> show, is Toronto because Nick Nurse is that type of creative coach that can get the most out of somebody that other coaches, you know, wouldn't. I think with his creativity and his willingness to try different things, I think there are some guys that could maximize their gifts and their strengths if they played in Toronto. And then I've also seen guys where. You know, for example, the Spurs run a pretty structured system, but they'd be better in something that's just really free-flowing, and they may not look good in, in San Antonio. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. And we know both of those teams look for certain off-court or character indicators as well that maybe we don't get as good a look at uh, from outside. But that's where you, you know, having the, the insider stuff and having those conversations with people on the inside can, can go a long way. Um, okay, so less philosophical, more about this 2022 draft on Thursday. What's the thing you're most curious about? Thursday night like is there a, a guy who's draft range or, or a team who you don't know which direction they're going to go like what is the fan in you most curious about for Thursday I'm actually interested to see what Oklahoma City does at number two I know a lot of people are saying that it's Chet and they believe it's a lock I don't 
I'm not 100% sure that is the case. I mean, we started to see some rumors within the last 24 hours that Bancaro could be an option at number two. I mean, it's kind of been out there a little bit. Nothing really confirmed, of course, but that the Thunder may like Jaden Ivey, and then the Thunder could also take advantage of some teams that like Jaden Ivey and say, hey, well, if you like them, you know, we'll draft them, we'll, we'll make a trade, and the Thunder can get somebody that they like and then collect another asset. Because I, I do think that... Oklahoma City wants to win, but I also feel like there are some teams that are still going to kind of tank a little bit for next year because they want a shot at Victor Wimbayama, <laughs> the the French kid yeah. that some people are considering a, a generational talent. So I think the draft actually starts at two, while most people think that it starts at four with Sacramento. Right, and Sacramento, you know, we just talked about places you wanna you want a certain prospect to land, and that's the the opposite. I, I joked yesterday with a, a Canadian scout that I don't want any of the Canadians to go number four, even if it means they shoot up the draft board, because uh, I don't like the the way things might turn out in Sacramento. So you mentioned the possibility for trades and pick trades and moving up and down is one thing, but when we look at things like. They're on the TV in front of me right now. Tim Bontemps is talking about Kyrie Irving, or you see the Bradley Beal stuff. Uh, for you, as someone who's put so much time into the draft and this draft order and these guys, how disruptive is it for you if there's a big trade on Thursday that doesn't involve, obviously, it would involve picks, but it's more about the players and everything kind of gets shaken up for non draft reasons? Well, the fan of me is going to love it. You know, I, I think that's one of the things that the NBA has done a good job at making the trade deadline such a big event and free agency and, and anything with players moving and changing places is always a big deal and something that's interesting. So, yeah, the fan of me wants like a chaotic draft night. I mean, I, I want it to be crazy. <laughs> so, um I'm actually looking forward to that. I mean, I, I think some names are going to be moved, some some bigger names. And I also think there's going to be trades that just have not even been mentioned that are just going to come out of nowhere. So I'm looking forward to that. And, and I think it's going to be an active an active trade day. I, I hope you're right. And there there's been the odd rumbling around here, and not just because of the OG and an OB rumors, but some thought the Raptors could look to move in or move up nothing with too much steam to it but it's always interesting uh to localize it like that so i do want to localize this with you a little bit and talk about some of those guys that are on the first round fringe or second round fringe the raptors only have the number 33 pick so this is perfect you're the perfect guy to have on because like you said a lot of people can tell you about the top five or top 10 picks it's the guys deeper into the second round uh that are most interesting and in our case most relevant for toronto so Guys who could be available at 33, let's let's cast a wide net first. Are, is there anyone who stands out to you as, man, that guy would be a good Toronto Raptor? I guess to, to localize it, I mean, I think uh, Andrew Nimhart. Mm -hmm. I think that he would be someone that probably may have a floor at 33. I think he would be a, a good Toronto Raptor. But with this draft, I don't think that there is a huge difference between picks 15 through 35 so it, it wouldn't shock me at all if there's somebody at 33 that some people have a mid first round grade on that would be available for toronto and we all know toronto has one of the best track records of developing talent and getting the most out of out of what they have and so i think whoever toronto selects at, at, at 33 
I, I trust that they'll be able to, um, you know, put that player in the best position. And that is someone that probably will outperform their draft position just based off of the Raptors track record. Almost definitely. And Bobby Webster spoke today and he said that, you know, at 33, you're looking at maybe three out of every 10 guys turn out. So even if you get one or two from the odds set, like over the course of a front office from the second round pick, you're doing pretty well. Um, There were a couple names that you identified in an article the other day, uh, guys that you, you don't really think should last into the second round but probably will. And I'm curious about your thoughts on their fit in Toronto. Uh, The two names that stood out to me that we haven't discussed on the show a lot yet are Ryan Rollins and Darian Seaborn. Um, Do you see either of those guys as potentially good fits at 33? Yeah, definitely. Seaborn is the guy that when I, when I wrote the article, I, that was, and, and I'm being totally honest here and I've, talked to his agent about it and it's part of one of the reasons why I, I wrote the article because I was talking to his agent and I was like you know he's he's such a unique player and I said the coach that I think can get the most out of him is Nick Nurse mm. and and the agent even like kind of retweeted it when he when he retweeted the video he made a comment and I'm sorry the the article but yeah I mean Sebron is for those that don't know he's like six seven 180 pounds but he averaged eight rebounds per game. He had a 39.19 rebound game against <laughs> Nebraska in December. And he just gets to the basket just super fast, first step. Now, he, he doesn't really shoot it, and he doesn't even really look to shoot jumpers. He always gets to the basket. Like 79.9% of his field goal attempts on the half court came at the rim. So he's just an aggressive slasher that I think with NBA spacing – can really stand out. And I think it's going to take a creative coach where you look at Scotty Barnes, for example, and I'll be totally honest. I had Jalen Suggs over Scotty Barnes last year Mm. in my my mocks because I looked at Barnes as a guy that could defend multiple positions, can possibly be like a secondary ball handler. But whatever the Raptors did, or maybe he just wasn't as assertive at Florida State, whatever it was, I mean, he was rookie of the year. We saw a totally different player, and he was used to his his best strength. And so, I think a guy like Sebron would have fit like Toronto, where he may get a chance to play the point, and you you know maybe as a backup. I, I think he could really, really provide a lot of value, first-round value for sure for a second-round pick. And he's a guy that that's that's a type of guy they like. He's not he's more established at this point, but it's some of the same things you're saying that they liked in Delano Banton with uh, his yeah. size at the point and ability to get to the rim and, and rebounding. Uh, and here's my promise, Raphael. Uh, if they draft him, I'll stop making the Seaborn typo. Uh, I keep, I don't know why my hands will not let me type it Sebron. And I, I keep having it in my head too. It's like Sebron James. That's, that's the <laughs> way I'm trying to memorize it. But uh, I keep making that typo. Maybe it's autocorrect. I'll blame it on. Uh, I had, I had one other name that has, he seems to have a really wide range. So maybe he's more of an undrafted free agent target. Uh, but I saw you retweet something about him the other day is Fresno state's Orlando Robinson. Uh, is he a guy that you like? as high as the the second round or is he more of an undrafted target for you i don't think i would select him at 33 but one of the things about this draft and i have an article that's coming out today is that speaking to different agents they feel like after 40 teams are only going to really offer two-way contracts Mm -hmm. and agents may request that their player doesn't get drafted because they may want to handpick 
the best two-way opportunity that gives them a clear path to playing time. So, you know, Orlando Robinson could be one of those guys. If he falls past 40, he may decide to tell the team, like, don't draft me unless you're going to guarantee me for the whole season. If not, then I may go to a team like Toronto where I know that they're looking for some front court help because that may give me the clearest path to playing time. So I, I think that he could be an option for the Raptors. That's uh, interesting. Just uh, a little news here coming down. Sean Strania tweeting that uh, Savid Mihailuk has exercised his player option for next season. Uh, so $1.9 million locked onto the Raptors' books. Uh, not a huge surprise there, but maybe a little surprised that it came down to the final minute there. Uh, so Orlando Robinson, an interesting one. I, I'm glad you made the point about a wide draft range being a, the kind of ground where an agent could dictate a player's destination a little bit because we've heard that with the Raptors before we heard that with you know Fred Van Vliet um he landed with Denver before Toronto but that was a Terrence Davis thing as well of if you're only going to give me a two-way don't draft me because I'm not interested in that route I know that Toronto would be a destination for that kind of stuff given what you kind of outlined uh earlier does that does that make your job way harder when it comes to like mocking the second round or, or trying to figure out who's going where because you know, it's we're no longer in the in the type of draft where the top sixty guys, or let's say top fifty guys, get drafted with the sixty picks, and then there's uh, the odd Euro stash that never becomes anything. Um, but does that does that make it a little harder for you to to figure out the second round? No, not really. I mean, it's, it's, luckily I'm not getting judged on accuracy. You know, maybe if I worked for a team and. Um, you know, I, I got judged on if I got 57 or 58 out of the top 60 guys drafted correct. But luckily, I don't have that type of pressure on me. And in the case like Austin Reeves last year, I thought Austin Reeves was, you know, a, a mid-second round pick. But his agents felt like it would be better if he didn't get drafted. And I, I think you just really have to factor in that, that agents are always kind of like finding loopholes or trying hmm. to be a step ahead of, of the system. And they want to put their guys in the absolute best position that they can. So, um, so again, that's kind of a long answer. But to answer your question, no, it, it doesn't make it a little bit harder. But I do have to know that, that 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 is an option for guys. And I have to know the players that could possibly be looking to go in that direction. For sure. That makes sense. Uh, quickly, before we let you go, Raphael, uh, Shaden Sharp, Ben Matherin, Abakigab. Andrew Nembard, Caleb Houston, over under three and a half Canadians drafted on Thursday. I'd say over. All right. I know you like Nembard. That 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 to me says you got Caleb Houston in there somewhere too, probably. Yeah, I mean he has to. It's so much. The stock slid so much over the last year that it's hard for me to get a handle on. He he screams to me, dictate my my location if I don't go in the first round. Yeah, it, it was really weird. Is little insider information here in a sense. Uh, I was in Las Vegas where he was working out at, and I think I must have got there on like a Tuesday, and I was trying to film some draft content. And usually, what I do is I try to. You know, I may film the guys, but for a sit-down interview, I try to wait until I've been around them for a little bit so they'll feel comfortable. So um, the first day, talking to him, got some video footage of him shooting, and 
it was the plan. Like, okay, we'll we'll do a sit down interview the next day. So that was the day I think the combine list came out, and then he wasn't on the combine list. And so then you started seeing the rumors that he has a guarantee. So I'm thinking, okay, well maybe I'll see him at the gym the next day. I know I'm gonna see him in a couple hours. Haven't seen him since, so I have no <laughs> clue what's going on. He, you know, again, he didn't go to the combine. So there are people that believe he has like a soft guarantee or at least a floor where he's comfortable at somewhere. I don't know. I mean, it's it's one of the the mysteries of this draft because obviously they feel comfortable with, with something for him to not participate in the combine or go. And I really haven't even seen much about him even working out for teams. So right. I don't know what's going on there. Yeah, that's a, an interesting one. We'll find out in the next 60 hours or so. Uh, you will hopefully get, I don't know, maybe eight hours of sleep over that 60 hours. Uh, appreciate you carving out time for us, Raphael. Keep up all the great work at NBA Big Board uh, and NBA Draft Junkies. It's indispensable this time of year, and uh, we appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Anytime you want me on, let me know. You can make it happen. we Will do. Raphael Barlow, NBA Big Board, NBA Draft Junkies, Circuit Scouting, some great insight there. That dude works harder than just about anyone I know. And I know there are a lot of good draft content people out there and Sam Vecini's big board, uh, his, his draft guide just went up. We're going to have Sam on the show on Thursday. Raphael grinds. It's great to see him uh, getting more and more spotlight and opportunity. Uh, again, the Canadians in the draft, Shaden Sharp, Profile up at sportsnet.ca from Michael Grange. Ben Matherin, profile up at sportsnet.ca from Oren Weisfeld. So check those out. We're going to take a break. When we come back, former Raptor 90, Raptors 905 head coach, former Raptors assistant, a man who now has a ring with the Golden State Warriors as well, John Malalela joins us next on the Raptors show on Sports at 590 The Fan. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with J.D., Blake, and Ailish. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Raptors Show. I'm Blake Murphy, filling in for Will Liu and Alex Wong. Tiny, tiny bit of news in that last segment. Svi Mihailuk has exercised his 1.9 million player option for next year. So he'll be back. He locks in 1.9 million guaranteed. As much as it seemed like maybe that was a foregone conclusion, he had the way. Maybe a little less guaranteed elsewhere, but more opportunity since he barely played at the by the end of this season. Tough year for him. He's had a very up and down career as far as shooting percentages year to year go. But Svi Mihailuk will be back, barring a trade. That's not the biggest news you'll hear this week. The draft's on Thursday. Uh, there was also an NBA championship parade as the Golden State Warriors won another title. Joining us now, an assistant coach for that team, former Raptors 905 head coach, longtime Raptors assistant coach, all-around great guy, Jama Malalela. Thanks so much for taking the time, man. No problem, Blake. Happy to do this, man. Happy to hear your voice and uh, connect with everyone back in Toronto. Happy to hear yours as well. So I guess first, congratulations. Thank you so much. It was, uh, it's been incredible. I mean, had the parade yesterday and just such, such joy and, you know, just that, that sense of looking out and seeing all these faces that are so happy. It's just a wonderful thing to be part of. I, I don't need you to expose anyone individually, but I would imagine no one was responding to your texts today. Like, hey, anyone want to get in the gym and get shots up? 
Well, it's crazy. We got a few of our young guys still going. So I actually got I got one in the gym right now. So we'll get back to him after this. But oh. but uh, it's, it's nice to have the season over and kind of have like you know a bit of rest and recuperation. And summer league starts pretty soon. But yeah. um, it's the NBA, so we just keep on working. Yeah, you're you're on the player development side of things. So there's there's no time off. The end of the season, uh, even a championship just means. Uh, you know, next task. I remember even during the, the Raptors championship run, you're kind of flying back and forth with the, the draft workouts and everything. It was funny, Blake. I remember, and it was the ironies abound. So this year, um, our development crew, not myself, but the rest of the guys did a free agent camp literally the day of game six and then flew to Boston <laughs> uh, for the win. And I remember myself when we won in game six here in Oracle, imagine, you know, small world. Same thing. I did a free agent camp that morning, then flew and won the game. So it's a game six uh, good luck thing, I think. Yeah, yeah. If you're doing draft workouts uh, back home and then went on the road, it's a good way to do it. So we've got to get you. I mean, that is cool that you pointed out. You you kind of you were part of the team that closed Oracle and opened Chase. And I know I know there was a year in, in between there, but still. Um, so we got to get you to rank your titles here. Uh, Toronto Raptors, Golden State Warriors, 2003 Canada West Championship with UBC. Canada West Championship by far, top of the food chain, no question. Yeah, it just it keeps you from picking between Toronto and Golden State too. <laughs> exactly. Now I will say this: like I think that I think that being a a champion, right, is this amazing feeling, and it's so it's such a blessed feeling. Uh, and I think in Golden State they have such great tradition here. And coming in, talking to Coach Kerr a lot about the glow that you feel when you, when you win. And I think, we, you know, we're in that space now, luckily, thankfully. And I was really thankful that we did it in Toronto, too. Toronto was such a journey, and we had to go, you know, fight so far to get there. So that was special because it took so long for the Raptors to get there. But this one was special because I think there wasn't the same expectation of sort of the, the Warriors as a powerhouse, and they're supposed to win. They kind of really kind of scraped and clawed and fought their way, and I think seeing Steph on that journey really was something special to me to see what an amazing athlete, but I think much more so an amazing person he was and the fortitude he has in his character to, to will the team to another win. How, how special was it to see the connection between Draymond, Clay, and Steph as they kind of, they're the guys who were there from the start and are there now for, for a fourth in eight years? Yeah, just the bonds that they formed and, and so many unspoken sort of ways of communication, you know, on the basketball court, but also off the court. You just see this, the way the three of them, and Andre Iguodala as well, I think, you know, him, mm-hmm. him being with us. He didn't play a ton um, this year, you know, but, but I think his presence was really felt throughout the entire season. And the way those four guys kind of interact, relate, see the game in similar ways, know when to really sort of, you know, tighten the screws and really get after it, know when you can relax a little bit, that's a special quality that comes with years of experience. And I think Draymond, you know, for me as a, as a coach and someone who's sort of been around basketball for such a long time, seeing the force of his character was truly incredible. I mean, this guy can just captivate a room, you know, in terms of a film session or an edit or, or a talk, but also sort of take over the, 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 the feeling of a game with a defensive rebound or with a strip or with a steal and, and, and layup. Like, he's pretty special the way he can play. So I just feel really thankful I've been able to coach those guys and, and uh, you know, get another championship. Seems special, too, the way he kind of toes the line where – uh, you know, it can be, it can seem when you're just watching the game as a fan, like it's a lot, but everything you've heard over the years is that inside those, those walls, it's, um, you know, he strikes the right tone and everything. Uh, I'm curious, Jama, your take, I know it's hard to do in the modern NBA, the, the salary cap and player movement and all that stuff. But when you look at those four guys you just mentioned, do you think that it sometimes gets underrated the the ability to have that roster continuity and guys who learn kind of 
langu- uh, a language, I guess, amongst themselves. Um, and again, I know it's hard to keep together, but do you think it's something that sometimes gets overlooked with roster churn we see from teams year to year? I think so. I mean, the, the one stat that really stood out to me was, I think, you know, this being the seventh championship of the Warriors, which I think moved them above the Bulls, who had six. But, and then obviously Lakers and, and, you know, Boston well ahead of that. But, but I think that what that tells me, and, and when those teams went on runs, it was always the same group of players. Like Michael mm-hmm. Jordan and the Bulls like, was a consistent thing, and they, and they built some camaraderie and some connectedness and were able to sort of get multiple, multiple championships. And I think that's exactly the same thing with the Warriors. You know, like that sustainability of culture, of, of X and O sort of know-how, um, and even, and I, I joke about this, but I think it's true, a team that can practice for two more months more than everyone else because you're extending, you know, longer into the playoffs helps the team the next year. There's no question. You know, our young guys got better even if they didn't play one game on the court because they practiced for the last two months where other teams have been off and doing individual workouts or whatever they're doing. So I do think that connectiveness and sort of camaraderie really does make a difference. And so I I kind of wanted to go back to your decision to go to Golden State in the first place. And I know that, you know, you were on the M on the NBA bench as an assistant, but you're also, um, you know, with a player development focus through that. Did you kind of, or or did Steve Kerr broach it to you or, or did you approach it as, you know, part of it is you're trying to bridge the eras here and kind of bring along the next young core that's going to supplement these these guys as they, you know, get into their 30s? Yeah, I mean, I think as last summer, sort of reflecting on it now, there was such good dialogue with Coach Kerr just around what his vision was. And I think this sense of joy that he speaks about publicly, but, but I think lives daily, uh, was really important to me. Um, and I think that's what really sort of, turn the tide in terms of making this, you know, the right decision for me and my family to do is, is to come to Golden State was an ability to try and play and, and work in an environment with joy each and every day. And I think as, as I dove in deeper, it's then, well, Steph Curry's on this team. Wow, Draymond Green's on this team. You know, for me as a Canadian, Andrew Wiggins is on this team. And seeing the potential of what those guys could do and realizing that we had that, plus we had these two, you know, lottery picks last year and this amazing sense of, like, all the skills that I can bring to the table um, and the energy and passion and joy that I, you know, try to, to exude each day. It just felt like this perfect balance, this perfect fit. How- and then talking to Coach Kerr, you know, sort of since the championship, and we sort of sat in the office yesterday, you know, before the parade, and, and he just said the same thing. He said it all just fits. You know, the whole team and everything just fit together, and I think that, that's what has made it really special. How did the, the kids and family like a San Fran winter instead of a Toronto winter? <laughs> I must admit we had a lot of fun. We've got a beautiful backyard. They were out there each and every day. Uh, you know, California is a pretty incredible place. There's no, there's no denying it. And San Francisco specifically just has a really great kind of weather patterns. And mm-hmm. we're in a nice little spot that gets tons of sun and warmth and um, no snow. <laughs> and I'm, I'm good with it. We really enjoyed it. Um, so you mentioned that, you know, Golden State has uh, a couple lottery picks. You're working with Moody and Kaminga and Wiseman when he's healthy. Even guys like Poole, Gary Payton, Looney that, that take on larger roles. Um, looking back, how much do you think your time... And I know you were doing player development stuff when you were on the Raptors bench before you went down to the G League, but the those two years spent as head coach of the 905, how much do you think that had a hand in preparing you for this next jump for you? Uh, incredibly so. You know, and I encourage people all the time that, that if you have a chance to be a head coach, 
you should take it, you know, at almost any level and, and definitely at a G League level. I mean, it's an incredible league now and the learning that you get from actually coaching, you know, these young athletes. And for me, it was Chris Boucher early on, you know, Jordan Lloyd, uh, who remember from the Raptors championship mm-hmm. run, like, like those guys are, are, I get, I grew so much coaching them as their head coach that it allowed me to then coach Moses Moody better this year, Gary Payton better this year, uh, and even Wiggs better this year and established NBA player because you understand exactly what they're going through. And I, and I think it helps me to help Steve a lot more as well because, you understand the seat that he's in and all the pressures and responsibilities and allows you to be the best support you possibly can. So it's, it's been an invaluable part of my career without question. So you're in Golden State now. Jesse Mermis is in Orlando. Patrick Matumbo headed from the 905 to Phoenix. Are we headed for like a little ni- former 905 head coach rivalry around the league? Let's do it. Let's get stacked back in the league and let's do it all. <laughs> let's, let's, let's have some fun. No, I, it's, I think it's really cool to see the journey, right, that all of us take. And, and the 905 has been a really cool sort of, as you well know, and, and you sort of started your career that way too. Like it's, it's, it's important to, to start at the bottom and work your way through and, and great coaches, right, all those names you just mentioned. Um, and so to sort of see us all on our journeys and know that we all have that 905 connection, it's kind of fun every time we see each other. So the draft is on Thursday, and I know you said you weren't, in, you, weren't you know, yourself running those draft workouts the the night of game six you were already with the team but it wasn't that long ago that you were heading those up for the raptors and i know that you know that's when you start to build your connections with a guy like norman powell who obviously you, your ties with him run deep or, or pascal and fred and guys like that I'm, I'm curious when you were running those sessions for the raptors what were you personally looking for in guys? Like if the front office was coming to you after and saying, what do you think about this guy? What do you think about that guy? What were the traits that you were trying to pull out of guys in those workout sessions? Yeah, I've always felt that sort of a draft workout, it's, you know, it's an hour and 15 minutes at most on the court, you know, that the players flying in for um, in terms of their pure basketball. And to me, that's just not an indicator. Like you, you can't, it's, there's no, there's no point in sort of saying, Oh, we, we, you know, we found somebody or we've lost somebody because of what they do in your hour and 15. They might have had three workouts the days prior to that. They might have a little, you know, injury that, you know, they, there's no, to me, the actual workout isn't the telling sign. To me, what I'm looking for is just how they present themselves and sort of, I, I always try and find the confidence underneath, right? So, so how are they addressing things? If they miss a few shots, how do they deal with that? Um, and can you see that there's this underlying confidence? Because the NBA is such a cutthroat league, and it's so difficult to play at this level, and you need this sort of innate confidence deep within you to survive it. So that's kind of what I always look for when I'm doing a draft workout. All right, John. My last one before I, I let you go and continue on with uh, you know being in the gym with whichever of, of your young guys is still getting shots up. Um, what are we doing for your day with the Larry O'Brien? Your second time uh, bringing it to Toronto. Yeah, it's so fun. I'm not sure. I haven't quite figured it out yet. Me and, the, me and Michelle, my wife, are trying to discuss it and, you know, something with the kids for sure. It was actually really funny. I'll share this with you, Blake, and I guess all the listeners. But I was on the bus yesterday, and my son was, he's only four years old, but he sort of was a little bit bored on the bus and he kind of, you know, looking around. And there's, you know, confetti going everywhere and people <laughs> screaming. And he's, you can see this look of sort of being bored. And I looked at him and I said, hey, buddy, you've had this twice in your life. You're only four, but don't get used to it. This is special. <laughs> And I think, uh, you know, I think for him, it's like, you know, this amazing thing. So we'll do something at home probably with the trophy, do some photos with the kids and, uh, you know, maybe bring it back to Toronto as well for sure. Awesome. Well, I'm really looking forward to that, um, at least seeing the, the photos of it. Um, really appreciate you taking the time, Jamma. Um, it's been great to see the success you've had in Golden State, even, even though we miss you here. Oh, absolutely, Blake. Really, uh, really all the best. Best luck to you. Miss you guys in Toronto. Miss all the fans. And let's have a good summer. Thanks so much, man. Uh, Jamma Malalila. Assistant coach of the NBA champion Golden State Warriors. He's got 
a couple rings now. I don't know if you get a ring for winning a Canada West championship with the UBC Thunderbirds, but uh, I don't know, maybe like a wristband or something like that. I don't know what they were given out in uh, in the CIS in 2003, but uh, wishing continued success to, to Jamma. Nice to hear from him uh, and about his family. Big imprint he's had on this Raptors organization, even, uh, even now a year removed. So Jamma was the guy running draft workouts here for a long time. The draft is on Thursday. The Raptors have the number 33 pick. There's been some rumblings that maybe they'd like a different pick. Maybe they aren't that enamored with 33 versus what they could get undrafted. And maybe they want to do something else with that. Let's assume that they're keeping that pick. Not many people better prepared to analyze who they take at 33 than our next guest uh, host at Raptors Republic and running off the screen. He's the man they call Mac. Matt Cunningham, how are you, buddy? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Blake? I'm good, man. Thanks for coming on. Um, so you have this two-part YouTube series up on the Raptors Republic YouTube channel looking at your favorite Raptors targets at 33. With the draft this wide open, it feels like we've had a couple of these in a row, especially with the second-round picks. Do you find yourself, like, how hard is it to cut the list down to, okay, I can only talk about five guys today. I can, we can only talk about 12 guys in this video uh, and to kind of narrow it down that way when I'd imagine there's like 30 or 40 guys you want to talk about. Yeah, like with the 33rd pick, like I would like scale it down to, okay, who's the 25th ranked and then who's the 45th? And I just pick my favorites in that little bunch. And um, every season is a little different, like you said. So going into this season, I tried to like pinpoint what the Raptors were missing on out on um like throughout the, the uh this off season sorry so like the glaring needs this year were bench scoring and rim protection and more specifically shot uh, like a shot blocking presence so i tried to focus on guys who had high usage rates and show confidence in scoring the ball while shooting a decent clip at uh from three and also players who are defensive anchors and active on the boards that's a, a good list of, of things you want to find and if you can find most of those at 33 uh, I think you're pretty happy so I want to I want to just throw a couple names at you quickly and I know that they're names you discussed on uh, again on Raptors Republic's YouTube channel on your running off the screen channel but bear with me here so give me some quick takes on, on a couple names here the first one I want to throw at you and you mentioned kind of defensive anchor it doesn't always look the sexiest but Walker Kessler 7-1 had really good, basically everything other than his free throw rate uh, at Auburn stood out statistically and seems a guy pretty ready-made for more conservative drop coverage. Uh, is Walker Kessler a guy you'd be interested in at 33? Um, well, Walker Kessler is definitely someone who we can keep an eye on. But for me, I, I like a lot of other centers mm -hmm. over him be because of the offensive um, deficiencies he has with shooting the ball. Now, a guy I really like is uh, Christian Coloco. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, he's from Arizona. He's born in Cameroon in the same town as Pascal. <laughs> he grew up playing soccer, and he started playing organized basketball at 17. So that kind of sounds familiar, right? Yeah, he's uh, just we, somehow he's even bigger and longer. Yeah, you know, and he, he's seven foot with a seven five and a quarter wingspan. You know, and actually his birthday was yesterday. So happy belated to the future <laughs> Raptor. 
<laughs> yeah, twenty-two-year-old Christian Coloco, uh, welcome, man. It's uh, no, it, it, he does check a lot of boxes, right? Like when we we can joke sometimes, but when we look at things the Raptors try to identify as undervalued guys, sometimes it's guys who are older by age but not by experience, guys who have big, big wingspans. Because you know, look at the way the Raptors are built. They think that length is a better way to close out space on defense than just height. So he does check some boxes i'm sure the cameroon thing doesn't hurt uh maybe there's a relationship there and a possible uh mentorship and certainly it would help to have two versus the the one for joel Embiid when they they do the joking uh yuande <laughs> against duala uh arguments but tell us a little bit more about about what you like about coloco uh one thing that stood out is during the combine process he shot 16 of 25 in the three-point star drill hmm and in college, he shot 64% from the field and 74% from the free throw line. And during the college season, I think earlier on in the season, opponents shot 37% at the rim when he was in the game. And he averaged almost three blocks a game. So he, he's going to shut it down for you on the defensive end. He's, he's going to be a lob threat, uh, good at putbacks, uh, creeping in a dunker spot. And he has, he's going to have that pick-and-pop threat, I think, in the NBA, similar to what uh, Serge Ibaka has given us. So let's look at the other end of the positional spectrum. And the two kind of areas of need you can certainly circle for the Raptors with how they're currently constructed. Yes, a, a center who can plug and play maybe off the bench is a nice thing to have. If you were looking at something else, it's probably someone on the perimeter who can create some offense uh, and not be a complete zero defensively is there anyone in that range that you like that fits that kind of mold hmm, there's a couple um one is david roddy i really love david roddy hmm. i think i i think uh, samson brought him up uh, yesterday yeah now he, he's six six with us like almost a seven foot wingspan he weighed in at 261 <laughs> but with roddy he was a multi-sport athlete you know aside from basketball he played quarterback and was a state champion in the discus throw so to me, that just shows he's an ultimate competitor. And on top of that, he had a 29% usage rate, and his true shooting was 64.5%. Uh, and if anyone knows anything about true shooting, anything over 60 is pretty elite. Especially and at that, that level rank, of usage. Exactly. And if we're going to the combine, because I know people say, oh, he's 261, he might be too slow. He had the same three-quarter sprint time as Dyson Daniels at 322 which was faster than J.D. Davison, Bryce McGowan, uh, and Andrew Nembar. Hmm. So, you know, he has the foot speed. He he was top five in lane agility among forwards. And um, another thing I look for in prospects is, like, if it's a guy who's been in college for, like, two, three years, we want to see somebody who had, like, a drastic increase in production. Mm -hmm. And for, for Roddy, he shot 28% from three as a sophomore, and he upped that to 44% as a junior. So in, on top of all of that, he's pretty shifty um, off the dribble. You know, he's he's confident offensively, and he has the physical profile to bully some guys off the bench for us. My worry with David Roddy, the way you've described him and watching a little bit of tape on him, is 
I think he might be like the next Antonio Gates if someone <laughs> switches him to tight end <laughs> in football. Um, Antonio Gates was a basketball guy first too. It's uh, 6'6", 261, and you got that kind of speed. Uh, man, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you lose him to football at some point. That's that's almost the, the route Ish Wainwright went down too. So uh, maybe he does check a box for the Raptors there. Um, I'll just kind of leave it open to you here, uh, Mac. I, I know that we could go through... 20 guys, Ryan Rollins, Jalen Williams, Justin Lewis. We could go through a bunch. Um, who are you most excited to talk about? Or, or if they're there at 33, you're most geeked up about on Thursday. Uh, you said the name, but I'll, I'll add another one. Uh, Justin Lewis is one, definitely. But okay. Jalen Williams, Jalen Williams, for sure. Um, he's not the most athletic, but when the Raptors were at their peak, their roster was kind of full of players that brought um, – more technique and communication and great instincts as a help defender. And I think Jalen is caught from that same cloth. Now in this past college season, he drew 50 charges in a, in a single season at Arkansas. Yeah. So for context, he, he only played 37 games. Exactly. So he's going to be a top level defender uh, as far as like a help defender. And when we're rating like the adjusted plus minus, he mm-hmm. ranks second in the entire, um, in, in the entire class. Only the only guy over him was Chet Holmgren, who's huh. projected to be a top three pick. Pretty, uh, pretty good impact uh, on the game there. Another guy whose birthday is this week. So uh, maybe maybe <laughs> this is your filter. I don't know what what is it cancer season now that now that we're into June 21st. Maybe you just have a thing for for that type of player. I don't, I don't know. Um, all right. So sorry. Who was the oh, Justin Lewis was the other one. You said give us the quick take on Lewis, who on paper, he's like the most Raptorsy prospect in the second round, I think. Yeah, he pretty much has the same body type as OG Ananobi. He guards multiple positions. Um, he shot 76% in the spot-up shooting drill from the left corner three, and that tied for second uh, with Julian Champagny. Now, on top of that, just like with Roddy, I showed you his um, percentages going up. Um, Justin Lewis went from 22% from three to 35% and 58 from the free throw line to 75 So that just indicates that the work ethic is there, he has the physical attributes to kind of be that backup forward um, behind OG. Because, you know, when OG was out, um, we struggled to kind of fill that void of his, his strength and uh, quickness. And I think Justin Lewis would be a nice plug and play guy there. The nice thing for the way this draft is shaping up Thursday, Mac, is that you may end up with a couple of these guys. It's it's entirely possible, too, at 33, the Raptors pull someone that, that we aren't fully prepared for, that that's, you know, in the 60 to 100 range kind of thing. Uh, but I remember the years that they've had the 59 pick, the year they took DeWan Hernandez. They told me at Summer League after they signed uh, Terrence Davis and O'Shea Brissett that, yeah, we ended up with three guys that we were considering with that pick, and later they'd get Shamori Pons, who was another one. Um, I think it's entirely possible in a draft this flat. You get a guy you like at 33 and a guy or two on the undrafted market that you liked in that same range. That was the case with Justin Champagne last year too, um, undrafted free agent who was in the mix for them in the 40s. Uh, how greedy can we get here? How many of these guys do you think uh, we could be talking about Friday afternoon? Uh, to be honest, I think it would be great a great idea for us to try and trade for a, a second, second round pick, maybe later in the 40s, 50s. But if we're looking at undrafted free agents, um, Jared Roden steps out to me. Uh, he's a 6'6 uh, forward with a 6'11 wingspan, went to Seton Hall. I like what I saw from him 
at the uh, NBA Combine scrimmages. He plays tough defense, can get out in transition, um, decent catch-and-shoot player. And he's going to be a developmental 3-and-D wing. And another name that um, I think the Raptors worked out as well is Marcus Bingham. Um, he's a seven-footer, seven-four seven, wingspan from Michigan State. He's shown the ability to shoot the three. I think he shot 42%, but he's also a good um, shot blocker as well. He, he blocked 2.2 blocks per game, and he's a good cutter and lob threat. So I think those are two names we could look out for for maybe summer league or as undrafted free agents. Well, I look forward to uh, the breakdown of whoever they end up with, and I imagine you're going to be our number one guy when it comes to summer league breakdowns uh, as we watch these guys starting July 9th. Matt Cunningham, Raptors Republic, running off the screen at man they call Mac on Twitter. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time today. Keep up all the great work and enjoy Thursday. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me, Blake. That was Mac Cunningham, host of Raptors Republican running off the screen. You can follow him on Twitter at man they call Mac. Uh, check out his two part YouTube series on some of the names we discussed and a bunch more. You can find that on the Raptors Republic YouTube channel. So thanks to Mac. Uh, thanks to Raphael Barlow for taking the time a little earlier. And of course, Jama Malalela uh, taking the time out to come on with us. If you're hungry for more draft content, Michael Grange has a piece up at sportsnet.ca on Canadian lottery prospect Shaden Sharp. Oren Weisfeld has one from yesterday on Ben Matherin, who's also likely a lottery prospect. Holly McKenzie continues her work doing feature stories uh, ahead of Global Jam, which goes July 5th to 10th here in Toronto, uh, basketball.ca for more information on tickets. And uh, you, look, I hope you don't end up sitting behind us because of Will's stature and the size of his head, but you'll probably catch Will and I out there at some of the Canada games. Uh, there's one day where Canada and U.S. women play and then Canada and U.S. men play right after. I'd imagine you'll be trying to peek around Will's head at that one. That does it for today. I've been Blake Murphy, guest hosting for Will and Alex. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on Sports at 590 The Fan. Make sure you find The Raptor Show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff. And as a reminder, we're streaming live on Sportsnet YouTube channel and airing live on Sportsnet 360 Monday to Friday, 2 to 3, except for tomorrow. Tomorrow, the Jays play at 2 o'clock, so no Raptors show. I'll be back with you Thursday. Will returns Friday. Thanks again to Raphael Barlow, Jama Malalela, Matt Cunningham, board producer Derek Brandeo, producer J.R. Manitad, Jennifer Rolnick behind the scenes with the YouTube stream and picking the music for today. It's been a fun one. We're getting close to sucks there's no show tomorrow, even though I love an afternoon baseball game because tomorrow feels like the heavy rumor day. Today is the day all the final draft boards come out. Tomorrow's going to be every draft person. Update the mock draft, update the mock draft, update the mock draft uh, as all those rumblings come out um, and all the, you know, the top names start doing their, their podcasts and their radio appearances and all that stuff. I've been Blake Murphy. I'm back Thursday with Sam Vecini to tee up the NBA draft. Sports at 590, the fan.